Good morning. If you would uh, turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 13. Gospel of John, chapter 13, we'll be starting in verse 34 this morning. If you would please stand for the reading of God's word. Again, verse 34. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Let's pray. Dear God, our Father, Lord, we pray, Lord, that we would have love for one another, Lord. That we would have love, Lord, for you ultimately, a love that overflows, Lord, to our love for our neighbor, Lord. Our love for those outside of this church, Lord, uh, that we would share the gospel clearly with those that don't know you, Lord. That our love would flow to those that are a part of the body, Lord, that are a part of this church, that we would love one another within these walls and therefore make it known that we are your disciples, Lord. And I pray that within the relationships within this room, Lord, the most important one, Lord, our relationship with our spouse, Lord, within the marriage covenant, Lord, that we would love one another, Lord, in a way that would attract people to you, your gospel, your love for the church. This is what we pray in your son's name. Amen. Today will be the last sermon in our sermon series on marriage. Uh, Next week we'll be back in the book of Philippians, going verse by verse through that book. But today we'll be finishing up. um, And since this is our last uh, sermon in this sermon series, I thought we would uh, uh, start by doing a quick review. Uh, We started this sermon series by asking the question, what is marriage? What is marriage? And... We look to Genesis for that answer, and we learn that marriage is a one-flesh, intimate, covenant relationship between a man and a woman. Genesis 2, 24 says this, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. After that, we ask the question, why marriage? Why did God create marriage in the first place? And this is a question that I hope every single one of us that has entered into the marriage covenant has asked. Why marriage? And we learn that marriage, more than anything else, is a testimony of Christ's love for the church. Ephesians 5.32 says this, this, this mystery, which he's referring to marriage, this mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Last week, I wanted to get a little bit more practical. We laid the foundation with the deep theology, and I wanted to answer the question, how marriage? How are we to do marriage? So we looked again at Ephesians 5, and we found two simple commands. Simply, verse 22, wives, submit to your own husbands. And verse 25, husbands, love your wives. Now, before we move on to today's sermon, let me make a a quick clarification from last week. I, I purposely didn't 
make very many, if any, qualifications to these two simple commands. Again, wives submit, husbands love. And I did that on purpose. Uh, a lot of times when we come across a command that we don't like in Scripture or that's contra, or is uh, um, contra-cultural or something that can be offensive, we qualify it to death. We, we make all these exceptions and qualifications instead of just teaching what the Bible clearly says. And uh, because of that, I, I purposely didn't make very many, if any, qualifications last week. But because of some discussions that I've heard this week, I, I want to make one thing clear. When verse 22 in Ephesians 5 says, wives, submit to your own husbands, this does not mean you should, shouldn't seek help and safety if you're being physically abused. I just want to make that clear. We as a church would never advise someone to stay in a dangerous situation where physical abuse is happening. Therefore, wives, just because you're called to submit doesn't mean you shouldn't seek help if you're being physically abused. Now with that clear, again, last week we looked at the two simple commands, husbands love, wives submit. Now today, we're going to do something a little bit different. In the first three sermons of this uh, four-week sermon series, we looked at marriage in general. Today I want to look specifically at a Christian marriage. And what do I mean by that? I mean we're, we're both spouses are believers, and that's the majority of the marriages within our church. And, and I want to do this because if your spouse is a believer, a, a Christian, believes, uh, puts their faith in Christ, has been saved, it means you have a responsibility to them as a fellow believer, not only as a spouse, but also as a sister or brother in Christ. Meaning, all of the one another's that we find in the New Testament apply to your marriage. Therefore, even though the roles of marriage are, are pretty simple, again, husbands love, wives submit, very simple. Within a Christian marriage, you have a lot of responsibilities toward each other. In fact, in the New Testament, there are 61 another's that you can find in the New Testament. Now, a number of them repeat each other, so I've consolidated them down to 30. 30 ways you are to treat one another within the church, within the body. And again, if your husband or wife is part of the church, they are 30 commands that apply to your marriage. Therefore, today, I have a 30-point sermon. <laughs> I, I'm not joking. Now, don't worry, I got first service out almost on time. Uh, we're going to go through them quickly. My goal, actually, is just to overwhelm you with the responsibility you have to each other, one another. So again, here is a 30-point sermon, 30 one another's that we see in the New Testament, starting with, first, honor one another. Romans 12:10 says this, Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. In other words, we are called to outdo one another in showing each other honor. Now the word honor in Greek has this idea of cost or worth. In other words, we are to treat one another within the church as extremely valuable. And, and that makes sense when you think about it because if you're a member, if you're a part of this church, if you're, if you're within this body because you are saved, you are an adopted son and daughter of Christ, of God, Father. A person who's been brought at a price, therefore, if you're married to a believer... 
You are married to a son or daughter of God. Therefore, you should treat your spouse as someone who is extremely valuable by honoring them. And for example, in our household, the men are not allowed to sit for dinner until mom sits. It's just a, a way of showing her honor. Again, Romans 12.10 says this, outdo one another in showing honor. Two, greet one another. Romans 16.16 16 says, greet one another with a holy kiss. 1 Corinthians 16.20 says, greet one another with a holy kiss. 2 Corinthians 13.12 again says, greet one another with a holy kiss. 1 Peter 5.14 says, greet one another with a kiss of love. Now, I'm thankful that we, in our culture, don't kiss everyone uh, anymore. That could get awkward. Uh, but in the first century, uh, kissing a friend on the forehead, cheek, or even the beard was uh, a common way of showing love for one another. And even today, physical touch is important, is it not? I knew I was going to be preaching on this, so this morning I was just thinking about it, right? All the handshakes, all the hugs that I've given already this morning. I mean, think of a handshake. It's a, it's a physical sign of mutual respect, it, very important for men. A hug shows a level of intimacy and affection. Again, physical touch is important. Therefore, Sunday morning should be a place of physical touch, appropriate physical touch, right? But nevertheless, physical touch. In fact, this was one of the problems during the COVID uh, season. There's just something about physical touch that we crave. And that can't be replaced with a computer screen. We are physical creatures, both souls and bodies. And because of this, we relate to each other with physical touch. We communicate love and respect with physical touch. And once again, this is true in marriage. Listen, just a, a gentle, loving touch can soften a spouse's heart. I mean, if you are in an argument, sometimes just a loving touch coupled with a, a word of affirmation, can end the argument. Therefore, here's my question. Are you intentional in how you touch your spouse? Do you greet her or him with a physical touch that communicates love? Or is there a, a coldness that needs to be worked on? Three, welcome one another. Romans 15.7 says this, Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. Now, I like the NASB's translation of this verse. It says this, Therefore, accept one another just as Christ also accepted you. Meaning, meaning if Christ, the perfect, sinless Son of God, has accepted, embraced, and welcomed your spouse as one of his own, how much more should a forgiven, redeemed sinner as yourself embrace and accept your spouse. Even if there's disagreements, even if there's arguments and frustrations, accept one another just as Christ also accepted us. Four, show hospitality to one another. First Peter 4, 9 says this, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. I, we as a church, listen, if you're a believer this morning and you're here and you're part of Country Oaks, we are commanded to open up our homes to each other. To show one another hospitality. 
Now, you may be thinking, well, what's that have to do with marriage? I mean, I live with the person. Like, well, I hope you show a level of hospitality to your spouse, making your home a welcoming, friendly, safe place to be at. In other words, do you serve your spouse as you would serve a guest? Ladies, is your home a place where your husband is excited to come home to after work? Men, is your home uh, a place where your wife feels safe, taken care of, and comfortable? Show hospitality to one another. Five, have fellowship with one another. First John 1, 7 says this, but if we walk in the light, and as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If you are married to a believer, it means this. You have something in common that transcends all your differences. The blood of Jesus, his son, that cleanses us from all sins. Here's the implication. Make Jesus the focal point of your fellowship with your spouse. If you, if you have nothing else in common... Jesus is enough to have an intimate fellowship and friendship with your spouse. Six, live in harmony with one another. 2 Corinthians 13, 11 says this, Finally, brothers, rejoice, aim for restoration, comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace. Romans 15, 5 says, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another. Romans 12, 16 says this, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Now, I've been thinking about this verse a lot this week. Do not be haughty means do not think highly of yourself. Then Paul says, do not be wise in your own sight. Instead, always be willing to hear the other side of the argument. Be open to the possibility that you may be wrong, that you may be seeing things incorrectly. Give room to the idea that your spouse might be right. Try to see things from your spouse's own or from their, your spouse's perspective. And if you do this, you will be promoting harmony within your marriage. Seven. Be at peace with one another. Mark 9:50 Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its uh, saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have uh, have salt in yourself and be at peace with one another. Isn't that interesting? This is a famous teaching of Jesus uh, about being salt, the salt of the earth, and, and he ends it with be at peace with one another. What does saltiness have to do with being at peace with one another? Well, one commentator wrote this. Salt was used as a preservative to keep food from spoiling, but salt can lose its saltiness, its power to preserve, in other words. Jesus is warning his disciples not to lose that characteristic in them that that brings life to the world and prevents it to decay. But what is um, that characteristic? If lost will make the disciples of Jesus worthless. It is the disciples' spirit of devotion and self-sacrifice to Jesus Christ and his gospel. 
It will only be possible for disciples to be at peace with one another with that kind of devotion instead of the devotion to self and self-interest. In other words, within your marriage, you should seek peace with one another by making your relationship with Jesus and his gospel the priority. Making it a mission to, to get the gospel out together. Eight, be kind to one another. Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, tender-hearted. Nine, bear with one another. Ephesians 4.2, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Now the Greek word bearing means to, to take up, to, to bear up, or to endure. Colossians 3.13 says this, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. 1 Peter 4.8 says this, above all, keeping, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Now listen, this may surprise you, but, but when you got married, you married a sinner. And that means you're going to be sinned against at some point. Let me just make this clear. We are not called to be just roommates with each other. We are not called just to tolerate our spouse. No, we, we are called to have a forbearing love for each other. Bearing with one another in love. A love that, that takes mistreatment from the other while actively loving them anyways. Now, that's a hard calling, but guess what? It's Christ-like. It's a sacrificial love. It's a, a biblical love defined in Scripture. 1 Corinthians 13, 7 says, Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. It's a kind of love that seeks the highest good of your spouse no matter what. It's an unconditional love that doesn't Seek a response. Ten. Bear one another's burdens. Galatians 6, 2. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. A burden is just a very heavy load, which represents a, a, a different difficulties a person may be walking through. The burden could be a, a health issue, a a loss of a job, a loss of a loved one, or just a, a discouraging season. Listen, when our, when our spouses are struggling with a heavy burden, we should do all that we can to help them lift that burden. In fact, as a pastor, I, I get to see a lot of different things. And one of the, one of the most beautiful things that, that I witness as a pastor is when a spouse gets an illness of some sort, like cancer, and the other spouse bears that burden with them. It's often there that the, the couple's lowest moment that I get to witness a deep, profound, genuine love that bears the burden of that spouse. Eleven, 
comfort one another. 2 Corinthians 13, 11. Finally, brothers, rejoice, aim for restoration, comfort one another. 12, care for one another. 1 Corinthians 12, 25. That there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. 13, confess sins to one another. James 5.16 says this, therefore confess your sins to one another. Here's a question. Are you willing to admit that you are wrong to your spouse? Are you quick to confess your own personal sins to your spouse? Or are you so focused on their sins that you are blinded to your own? Listen, pull the log out of your own eye first, then and only then look at the speck in your spouse's eye. And I know what some of you are thinking right now. It's my spouse with the log, right? (laughs) Well, let me put it a different way. Pull out the speck then out of your own eye first before you attempt to pull the log out of your spouse's eye. Either way, be more concerned about your sin than your spouse's. 14, pray for one another. Again, James 5, 16, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. Do you pray for your spouse? Do you pray for them daily? Do you pray with your spouse? Here's a challenge. Next time you're in the middle of a fight, just stop and pray. Stop the fight and pray. That often de-escalates things. Not always, but often. And, and men, I put that on you. Right? You're the leader of your household. When you're in the fight, men lead by stopping the fight and praying. 15. Encourage one another. Hebrews 10.25, but encouraging one another. 1 Thessalonians 4.18, therefore encourage one another. 1 Thessalonians 5.11, therefore encourage one another and build one another up. How do you use your words when you're at home? Are you encouraging? Do you build your spouse up with your words or do you, are you more likely to tear them down? Here's a challenge Ephesians 4.29 says this, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Do your words give grace to your spouse? 16. Speak the truth to one another. Colossians 3.9 do not lie to one another seeking or seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. We are to speak truth to our spouse and not lies. But not just any truth. Ephesians 4.15 tells us that we are to speak truth in love. In fact, I think there are many spouses that have no problem speaking the truth. Where they struggle is speaking the truth in love. Listen, when you Take the log out of your own eye and you're ready to work on the speck in your spouse's eye. Be gentle. 
be intentional, be loving, speak truth, but speak truth in love. 17, do not speak evil against one another. James 4.11, do not speak evil against one another, brothers. James 5.9, do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Now, I spent a lot of time on grumbling a, a few sermons back, and we learned very uh, quickly in Scripture that grumbling is destructive. It trains your heart to be discontent. And if you're grumbling and speaking evil about your spouse, you're training your heart about how you think of your spouse. I put this in a question in the growth group questions uh, a couple weeks ago. Um, it said this, can you imagine Christ speaking evil or grumbling or even joking negative about the church? His bride? Can you imagine that? Of course not. Well, Christ is our example. Why do we think it's okay for us to do these things? We are called to honor our spouses. In fact, outdo each other in how we honor each other that even means honoring each other when we speak about them when they're not around. Now listen, I, I want to make one thing clear. It's okay to be honest with someone if you're truly seeking help with your marriage, looking for godly advice. You may have to be honest about some of your spouse's faults. If you're truly seeking help from someone that is not going to let you get away with grumbling or complaining or venting, that's not grumbling, that's not, that's not speaking evil. But even in that, we need to be careful to honor our spouse with our words. 18, instruct one another. Romans 15, 14, I myself am uh, satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. Again, the husband is called to lead, the wife is called to follow, but, but that doesn't mean we can't learn from each other. A, a good leader is always willing to listen to those who are following him. Therefore, instruct one another. In fact, 19, teach and admonish one another. Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Admonishing means to, to warn, to instruct, to reprove, encourage one another to stay away from sin. Therefore, we are to teach one another. We are to admonish each other in all wisdom. Again, husbands should do this in love. Wives should do this with all respect, honoring their husband as the leader. 20, sing to one another. Ephesians 5, 19, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. You know, this may surprise you, but when we get together as a church, as a body, and we sing praises, we sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, we are not just singing to God. No, we are also singing to each other. Again, 
Ephesians 5.19 says, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. This is why we're so particular in what songs we sing. We want to make sure you guys are singing truth to each other. 21. Stir up one another to love and good works. Hebrews 10.24. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. We are called to consider, to, to let us consider. The Greek word for consider is katanuo. It, it means to give careful consideration to some matter, to think very carefully about, to consider closely. Let us consider, think carefully, be intentional about how we stir one another up to love and good works. Now the word stir up is an interesting word because it's, it's a word that's usually negative. Paul actually uses it here to catch the reader's attention. It's this word that's negative, that's obviously placed in, in this command that's a positive command. It means to incite, to, to irritate, to, to stimulate, to provoke. Some of the translations actually say to provoke one another to love and good works. It's a good translation. It's a similar word that's used in uh, Proverbs twenty-seven twelve: as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. We are meant to sharpen one another. Therefore, you should consider carefully how to stir up your spouse to good works, how to sharpen them like iron sharpens iron. 22, do good to one another. 1 Thessalonians 5:15. see that no one repays anyone evil for evil but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. 23, serve one another. Galatians 5, 13, for you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. This verse is actually very ironic. Paul purposely puts words together. He says, we are called to freedom, and then he says, use that freedom to serve one another. The word serve comes from the same word that, that is uh, used for slave. In other words, we're called to freedom so we can be slaves to one another. 1 Peter 4.10 As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. John 13.14 If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. 24, be humble toward one another. 1 Peter 5.5, 5, clothe yourself, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Now, it's been a while since we've been in Ephesians, but Ephesians 2.3 says this, do, not, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Do you count your spouse as more significant than yourself? Verse 4 says this, let, let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Do you consider the interest of your spouse as more important than your own? 25, 
submit to one another. Ephesians 5.21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, what's this mean? Because I thought the wife was supposed to submit to the husband as the leader. Well, yes, that's true. In fact, this is the, the verse just before verse 22, which it says, wives submit to the husband. Right? This just simply means to put the other's well-being before your own. In fact, Ephesians 5.21 introduces the reader to what's called the household codes, uh, where Paul talks about three different groups of people, wives, husbands, children, uh, parents, bond servants, and masters. Meaning even within the household codes, there is a mutual responsibility to each other. There is a mutual submission to each other. Ephesians 5.22 says, Husbands submit to your own, or Wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Verse 25 says, Husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. Ephesians 6 verse 1 says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Ephesians 6.4 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Ephesians 6.5 says, Bondservants, obey your earthly masters. Ephesians 6.9 says, Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening. There's a mutual responsibility toward each other. 26. Do not judge one another. Romans 14.13 Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another. 27, do not provoke one another. Galatians 5, 26, let us not become conceited, provoking one another. 28, do not envy one another. Again, Galatians 5, 26 says, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. And finally, the greatest one another of them all, 29, love one another. This is by far the most repeated one another in scripture. And it's because it, it really encompasses everything else, all the other one another's. John 15, 12, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. John 15, 17, these things I have commanded you so that you will love one another. Romans 12, 10, love one another with brotherly affection. Romans 13, 8, Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. 1 Thessalonians 3.12, And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another. 1 Thessalonians 4.9, For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. 1 Peter 1.22, Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. 1 Peter 4.8, Above all, keep loving one another. 1 John 3.11 For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. 1 John 3.23 And this is the commandment that we believe in the name of the Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. 1 John 4.7 Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. 1 John 4.11, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. 2 John 1.5, And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I um, were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have heard from the beginning, that we love one another. 
And finally, John 13, 34, what we read this morning. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now, I know last week we were in Ephesians and we saw the command, husbands, love your wives and wives, submit and respect your husbands. But that doesn't mean husbands aren't to respect their wives and wives aren't to love their husbands. No, there should be a mutual respect and a mutual love. Therefore, husbands and wives are both called to love each other. In fact, if you do all the 29 other one another's leading up to this one, and you fail here, the other 29 one another's are pointless. 1 Corinthians 13.1 says this, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gone or a cleaning symbol. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have, in other words, everything I own, I give it away. And if I deliver my, up my body to be burned, and I, not only do I give all that I have away, but I sacrifice my own body, but have not love, I gain nothing. Well, then what is love? Verse 4. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable. Or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things. Love believes all things. Love hopes all things. Love endures all things. In other words, love is all the other one another's found in the New Testament, motivated by an affection, a love for God and His glory that overflows to your spouse. Therefore, love your spouse to the glory of God by being patient and kind with them, by not envying or boasting nor being arrogant or rude toward them, by not being irritable or resentful. Instead, love them by rejoicing in the truth, bearing all things, believing all things, hoping all things, enduring all things. And do all of this to the glory of God. And this brings me to my last one another. And although love is the greatest motivation, I think this last one another may be just as or even more important than love when it comes to the marriage covenant. 30, 
forgive one another. Colossians 3.13, bearing with one another and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. We are to forgive one another. So when I started this sermon series, I talked a lot about the beauty of Genesis 2.25, a husband and wife being naked in front of each other and not ashamed, being exposed and vulnerable with all their faults and not ashamed. Not because they are are such great people, not because they are sinless, but instead because their guilt and shame have been dealt with on the cross. So I'm going to end the sermon series in the same way. Let me end with hope. The gospel can radically change your marriage. Jesus, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, he came to us. He lived a perfect life, never sinning once. He died on the cross for your sins. He was raised on the third day and sits on the throne as King of kings and Lord of lords. And whoever trusts in him will receive grace. His sins will be forgiven. And a marriage centered on this truth, a marriage that is centered on the gospel is a marriage based on forgiveness and grace toward each other. Listen, no one's going to perfectly love their wife as Christ loved the church. I know we felt the weight of that last week. It's an impossible calling, husbands. No wife is going to perfectly submit and respect their husband. None of us are are going to perfectly obey all the one another's in Scripture. All of us are going to fall short. But here's the good news. There's grace and forgiveness found in the cross of Christ. Listen, the beauty of a a godly marriage, the beauty of a, a Christian marriage is that you can be naked in front of your spouse and not be ashamed. Not because your sins aren't shameful, but instead because you are forgiven. And it's on that foundation that you can forgive your spouse. You want to have a healthy marriage? Learn how to forgive each other. Ephesians 4.32 says this, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Let's pray. Dear God, our Lord, our Father, Lord, I pray for that.
Lord, I pray that we reflect on the gospel daily. We reflect on, on how much we have been forgiven and how much it costs to forgive us your son on the cross. That that would motivate us to be gracious and kind and tenderhearted and forgiving towards our spouse. God, let us be a forgiving people. Uh, a, a people that are, are quick to admit that we are wrong when we are wrong and a people that are, are, are quick to forgive. God, I pray that we model your grace and goodness, your forgiving nature, Lord, within our marriages, God. That we would love one another, Lord. That we would work at doing our best to, to do all the one another's we see in Scripture, honoring one another, serving one another, that we would do all this to your glory, God, we pray in your son's name. Amen.